Black Cats Run Podcast. I'm Tristan Black Ingersoll. And I'm Jillian Bennett. And this is episode two of Big Ring Bennett. On this episode, we're going to be talking about what does it mean to be an athlete? How have the experiences of going through a variety of different sports and different associated broader cultural ideas about sports, how can that change our concept of what it means to be an athlete? I think I have some concepts and ideas that make sense to me when I think about what it means to be an athlete. And I know that uh, you have some of your own ideas about that. And in this episode, we're going to try to look at um, how those different perspectives contrast in terms of like what shapes those, where do our ideas about what being an athlete means comes from. We're going to talk about a dichotomy of a sort of more skill, uh, talent-centered concept of being an athlete on the one hand versus more of a practice fitness development perspective on being an athlete and where do we see overlap or inversion between those things and then how have our different personal experiences and pathways informed that. Let's get into today's episode. So when we're thinking about this bigger concept or question of what does it mean to be an athlete? And that is a really big question, but I think it's also a really important question. I think we want to start by framing that in terms of where you're at right now, because the answer to the question of what it means to be an athlete isn't just a sort of textbook level understanding. It's also something that is a product of or is informed by the experiences we have in the short term and the long term. And in our last episode, we had talked about kind of the end of the 2022 season for you. But let's talk a little bit about how the 2023 season, or I guess this kind of new phase, and maybe we wouldn't maybe really say we're in the true start of your season yet, but how has that started to develop? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, as an athlete, you're constantly evolving through your experiences. And so even between January and now, so it's mid-February, um, I've already seen an evolution in terms of the ways that I'm thinking about this season and thinking about my training moving forward. So uh, the year started with, on uh, I was in Australia in Geelong and on January 1st. And I started with uh, a three-day series called Bay Crits. I actually got to race with folks like Amanda Spratt. And that was uh, a cool experience, but also a bit frustrating for me as a lot of those riders in Australia were on their kind of 
I guess, peak form, if you want to call it, for their Nationals race that was coming up in the next week or so. Um, so that was a a good experience in terms of is kind of the middle of, I guess I don't like to call it the off season, but the season of like not racing. And I got to go and race a bit and still hang around with those women and those riders. Um, but at the same time, it kind of forced me to think about how I was approaching things this off season and um, keep, you know, come back home and keep building towards the season to come. And then you and I, we went out a couple weeks later and we did the Boston prep 16 miler in Derry, New Hampshire. And so that's um, a pretty hilly course. Yeah. Uh, it had been, I went from like it being, you know, 80, 90 degrees and sunny in Australia and came home and, you know, nice and cold and snowy and uh hilly course. Uh had done that race a few years back. And yeah, that was, I mean, it was kind of a, a shock. I feel like going out and doing any kind of race running race in excess of a half marathon can um it's pretty challenging, regardless of if you're trying to like run race pace i guess well one of the dynamics of that which we talked about i think probably even during the race when we were running is that there's this disconnect and i think sometimes that disconnect is really clear where when you're in a race and sometimes maybe not until after the race but you can get a sense of well i'm doing what i sort of on the one hand feel i'm capable doing on the day in question or you know right now as i'm running you know, when I'm, you know, going up this hill at the 11 mile mark, I don't really think that I can go any faster or do any more work than I'm currently doing. But you can also have this duality where it's this, at the same time, this perspective of, I should be able to go a lot better than that, right? And, you know, when you think about that in, in the Boston prep race, right? And I mean, the race, when you think about just the the race, you know, was started when it was organized as a race for unsurprisingly people who are looking to do the Boston marathon or maybe another marathon around that time. And the idea of sort of having these, you know, benchmarks and you know, here's a 16 miler you can do in January that maybe would be on track towards preparing towards this ultimate thing. But when you're going out and you're doing things, even if you have a concept of I'm preparing towards something, I also think, right, there can be a compare and contrast between like, man, Am I really where I want to be? You know, and then when you're racing, you know, against some, you know, people, to be fair, right, Olympic athletes uh, in those criteriums in Australia, you know, it doesn't seem to really change the fact that you're still feeling like that sense of like, am I really doing what I should be able to do? both in the immediate term, but also is this really me demonstrating what I really think I'm capable of as an athlete overall? Yeah, it was it was like frustrating, especially the first day I ended up pulling out of that first crit because it was, I think, almost 100 degrees and I just hadn't acclimated to the heat because I'm used to, you know, us going out and doing our runs here in the morning and it's like anywhere from zero to 
25 degrees. Uh, so I was just not used to the heat. And so after that race, I'm like, am I, you know, even going to get better? Am I going to even have, you know, a good season in like terms of the U S season, but it's also like you were saying with the Boston prep race, even if you go into like a local running race like that, and you're just saying, oh, this is going to be like a training run, but it's obviously a workout because it's going to be, you know, harder, faster than we'd usually just go out and run. It's still hard to like, I guess, dissociate from that feeling of like, this is a race and I really want to do well. Um, I guess for me, I always struggle to go out in training runs and run, do those like faster runs. So for me, it's really beneficial to go to these races as like a workout and do that. But at the same time, then it's difficult to be like, well, I'm not here. I haven't been doing X, Y, or Z to like specifically perform well at this race. I'm doing this race as like a specific running session in conjunction with all of the other riding and running that I've been doing in the normal week. It's not like I'm pulling back to, to, you know, feel fresh or something for this. So it's also hard though. And we were talking about this, especially in the first couple miles and that race starts kind of like gradually uphill for the first mile. And, you know, we had a contrast to having done it, you know, in maybe 2017 or something. Mm -hmm. And you know, it was a different, and you kind of have a feeling in your head if you go back to a race that you've done in the past and you go to do it again. And if it starts to feel different, especially if it's feeling harder and not easier, that can right away start to raise the question of like, holy crap, what's wrong with me? And just like if you're out doing um, criteriums, you know, even if you maybe have this kind of sense of like, well, it would be totally unrealistic for me to expect any particular level of performance and just going out and riding, uh, you know, in a bike race with people who've been to the Olympics in some cases multiple times, you know, I should feel good about that. But then our internal sense of like, well, what does it mean to be an athlete? I think certainly for me, speaking for myself, it sometimes has that to do with, well, am I demonstrating a level of proficiency that I feel like I want to either see for myself or I feel that maybe other people, and I think all of us as individuals maybe have a different sense of who our audience actually might be. And for some of us, it's smaller and some of us, it's bigger. But am I demonstrating what other people want? And from the first five miles, I for me, it took basically the first 40 minutes until I actually started to feel like I could run. And I just felt like we were getting absolutely wrecked by these people. And, you know, that kind of like that rationalization of like, well, you know, shouldn't really be running any particular speed. And, you know, I guess we're still out here and, you know, we're still like engaging at this like level of work and, you know, it doesn't really feel fast because it's a race and everything feels slower and easier in racing. And like, it's okay that it's uncomfortable, but to me, that sense of analysis immediately kicks in. And in races like that, where they're longer and therefore the work demand takes a while to really get uh, really intense, you have the space to discuss and, and think through that internally. But if you're you know, doing it with 
other people specifically, you can then have that conversation. And we were having that conversation of like, how do we know basically if this is like good or not, right? Is this actually, you know, right on the one hand, we're saying, well, we're racing, so it must be productive because it's like 16 miles. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it's like, well, we're racing and, you know, we're running, you know, whatever. I mean, I think we ended up running maybe 715 pace for the whole thing. And there's a sense of like, wow, that sucks. Mm -hmm. Right. And But it was super hilly too. So that's something to... I guess like after the fact you think about it and you're like, okay, that course is incredibly hilly. And then you also think the last 5k is a bit flat and somewhat downhill. And, and I had put the hammer down. Yeah. And I had also like been, as I was running, uh, I just was thinking like, I can't really physically go any faster than this. And maybe like fitness wise, I didn't, there's like that kind of feel of like, well, this doesn't really feel hard, but like physically my legs aren't going to move any faster. And you, but that's kind of where that experience stuff kicks in where you, you realize, okay, this is where I'm at in terms of my running right now, or even on just this particular day, like maybe if I did the race on a different day, would have ran, you know, seven minute pace or faster or something, or some days I would run slower but this idea that like I can, I'm very good at just getting to this space that's kind of on the border or on the the line of, I guess people would call it your limit, but it's, I kind of think of it as I'm good at getting to this space that's sufficiently hard and fast, but not over that limit to where I'm, you know, blowing up and I'm walking into the finish line. I think I've over time through my experiences as an athlete, both running and riding and uh, other sports have developed this skill. And we'll, I guess we'll talk about skills later on, but this skill to be able to kind of toe that line um, in order to maximize, I guess, my potential on that given day. And I think it's difficult sometimes to recognize what that is and recognize that maybe that's valuable in terms of performance because there's other things that influence, like we're saying, our perception, right? Like on the one hand, you can say, wow, you know, did 715, you know, pace for this thing, you know, do I just suck, right? You know, in that sense of like, oh, I guess I'm a, a shitty athlete. Um, but on the other hand, you say, well, you know, after six miles, you know, start feeling like you can run and then that changes. And then, you know, in this course, after about 10 and a half miles, you take a 90 degree turn and you go into this like pretty serious climb in a series of steps for probably like the next mile and a half or two miles, which is, you know, a significant climb, you know, for people who are listening, who don't ever run. You know, it might, that's actually a lot more, it seems, might not seem very much from a cycling perspective, but that's for running terms. That's like pretty demanding because, you know, you're, you're not going very fast. Well, the you know, first part terrain. of that, that climb, it, some sense might've made more sense to just walk up it. Like that's how steep it was. And it's one of those things. It feels like you're walking. You're, about the speed. you're running, but you're, yeah, it's just not comfortable at all. Continuing theme on this podcast of you know how we go out and feel like we absolutely are eating shit in long distance running races well the 
And I guess the thing about running that's difficult specifically is the concept of times and pace. And so you have 715 pace and Tristan might kind of sound like an asshole for saying that 715 pace is slow and that he sucks as an athlete. But <laughs> like, you know, to some people that might seem a bit whatever, I don't, I don't know. But uh, for us, like having run, you know, marathons at 645 pace. That's all relative. It's to all what relative to, to what do. you're doing. And so, I mean, some days like this morning, for instance, our run, we went out and we were both pretty tired. This morning I sucked at running yeah. big time. And we're running like 930 pace on a flat road. And, you know, we finish the run and just like, wow, that was really difficult. And we ran for like 40 minutes or something. Mm-hmm. We're used to running for like an hour every morning. And that was rough. Yeah, there's just there's just some days that it's like that. So you have that variability, right? But then there had been a group of people ahead of us for a number of miles. And then, you know, like you're saying, kind of around the last 5,000 meters, we basically ran through all of them. And I think I ran the last mile in under six minutes. And I think you were basically maybe six flat. Yeah. Right. And so then at the end, you walk away and you kind of have all of this like conflicting experience of like at the beginning, I don't feel that great. You know, and you're like, is this really where I should be? You know, I've done such and such in the past. I mean, you know, right in your case specifically, you might go back to that half marathon that you did last March or March of last year, you know, in at 615 pace, and then you're out doing this. And right, you can go through this whole process and and of thinking and thinking, and how do I know if what I'm doing is productive? And I think that that can tie into that concept of being an athlete. But shortly after this, we kind of made, I guess I don't know what the best way to describe it is. Is Would we say it was like a strategic uh, you know, decision? Or did we make like a paradigm shift in terms of our thought process? And I think that we had, I mean, you could call it a paradigm shift. I really think that what we've done in training over the last month or so has been to add certain things to what we've already been seeing and doing in our training. And so I think moving to, I think what next weekend we're going to do the Hyannis Marathon down on Cape Cod. Return of the King. <laughs> hey, I won that one last year. I dropped year. out. Um, but super fun. I think looking at that, we can kind of go into that with this perspective of it's going to be this type of like training race run, right? Like I'm not trying to, I'm a runner and I, I really like to run. I think that it, you know, is important to my development as a cyclist as well. But it's kind of one of those things where I'm not looking to necessarily run my fastest ever marathon time. Obviously, it would be nice to just go out and it's always nice to go out and PR. But maybe having this perspective of, well, the marathon is just like one thing that's going to be a part of our training for, you know, this amount of time or whatever. And it's not something that we're specifically you know, working up to, um, and maybe we can go into that race with that perspective. And then you don't have as many of these like thoughts going 
around and around in your head as you're racing. But at the same time, I think it's really hard to go and do any sort of race and not have this, you know, hostile takeover of these thoughts of, well, I really want to do well today and I want to PR or I want to run fast. I feel like it's almost impossible to get away from those. That's not necessarily that. I mean, right? no. I mean, that's sort of that duality of, I mean, there's lots of dualities in doing sports and athletics and that's probably why it's challenging. Like it's good to want to have a good experience because I mean, it's basically saying I'm doing this because I I like doing it and I want it to be uh, something that I like doing. And we all know if we've done this stuff enough that, there are plenty of contexts in which just because we uh, you know, want to like doing it, sometimes it might play out in a way that isn't so great, right? Where after the fact, you might be like, well, I guess I have like an epic blow up story to share, you know, to add to my, you know, bag of times I hit the wall, but it's not like, oh, that was super fun, right? But I think kind of there's this, and right, we'll see if to what extent we're kind of hypothesizing, right? That there might be kind of a different mental, um, you know, sort of experience of doing that. And we'll obviously come back with an episode where we talk about, you know, that race and for better or for worse, however that went down. But I think that, you know, and you've said this, and I think it's a really informed perspective of it's not you know, reinventing the wheel per se, or trying to do things like totally differently overall. So in that sense, it's not, we wouldn't just to call it a paradigm shift seems really dramatic and might imply to people that, okay, we just thrown all of these things out the window and now we're doing something totally different. But I think that, and we've used the lactate meter before, like we've had the lactate meter for almost six years, but you know, for the longest time, we were using it on the basis of like, okay, we want to identify FTP, you know, and that that's happening at four millimoles. And then there's aerobic threshold at two millimoles. And we'd sort of been thinking about, okay, what are the significance of those numbers and trying to collect data, but it wasn't really like functionally leading to anything. So we would kind of like drift away from using the lactate meter, but to me, what I think the paradigm shift was, and for me, this started really when we watched the finish of the Kona Ironman uh, this fall, just kind of like on a whim. Um, and then looking into those two athletes from Norway, Christian and Gustav, and learning about their lactate stuff and, you know, looking at, I mean, for my part, looking at Lionel Sanders you know, uh, YouTube and, you know, they're talking about, you know, using the lactate leading up to that. And I think that's, that stuff sort of galvanized some reflection for us and sort of led to some research. And I think that's where we've kind of made this shift where I feel that like the Boston prep race kind of represents the a bookend because, and I feel like now we're on a different shelf in that bookcase of understanding because we have added this piece of ability to like conceptualize. And like for me personally, the struggle doing the Boston prep race and, and stuff like that is like, I don't feel like I'm going fast enough or hard enough. Like this isn't good. 
I ergo, I suck at being an athlete because I don't feel like I'm being athletic to the extent that I need to in order to be a legitimate athlete. And this is like an internal narrative, right? Nobody is like going next to me on a moped, you know, whispering the stuff in my ear trying to undermine me. But I think then we've sort of unlocked a level of internal understanding of like what that level of exertion feels like. And I feel like it's opened the door to this level of confidence. And I feel that we've already seen some pretty significant impacts of being able to use that. You know, but I come from a different, you know, athletic background in terms of trying to figure that out, you know, than you have. Um, like for you, like what has it felt like for you to sort of like add this level of understanding and how has that changed kind of what you feel or maybe how you're thinking about the significance of how you feel do you because like for me just to use this as an example for people who are listening for me what i feel is different is i feel more confident that the level of exertion that i kind of like have always maybe instinctively sort of been like, okay, this is kind of like where I want to be. But I've always felt I've needed to push past that in order to be an athlete. And now I'm, I've recalibrated and I've been like, wait, that's kind of like instinct. Um, wasn't like cowardice or some unathletic part of myself, but that's what I needed to be listening to all along. And then that's opened the door, I think, to take the concepts that we've been trying to implement in training a lot and maybe do them more fully. But what has that felt like for you? Yeah. So first, um, I guess to clarify, because I'm guessing not everyone that might be listening to this has listened to every episode of the pod or, you know, I guess you and I are talking about this stuff constantly. So it makes a bit more sense to us to all of a sudden jump to this, this idea, but we've been kind of approaching training, like, like you said, this whole paradigm shift or whatever we want to call it, we've been approaching training in a bit more of a different way. And so, you know, looking at doing efforts and things that are in this kind of area. Um, I know in, on the pod in the past, you talked about, um, you talked about with Amanda when she came on to the, the pod about zone of proximal development and this idea of you know, pushing yourself um, just enough, but not too much. And you see that with athletes in terms of burnout. Uh, and then you also, I guess I can compare that to me in the past. So with cycling specifically, I'll start with cycling and then kind of work backwards. With cycling, I have found a lot of times that I've been engaging with it in what I would call like a recreational way. So I've been doing over the last like four or five years, I've been doing a lot of just like general riding and, you know, we'll, you and I will go out and we've done big rides before and, you know, that's cool. And sometimes we'll ride with your brother and he's really fast. So, you know, those types of rides. Sometimes we'll get dropped by my brother. <laughs> oh, well, uh, yeah, specifically. <laughs> so we'll get dropped by him. And, you know, so I feel like in the past I've kind of engaged with this stuff a bit more, um, in a recreational way over the last year or so, as I've come onto more of the racing scene and I've, um, I guess 
first met and have become friends with a lot of people that do this in a much more methodical way, that has slowly shifted my thinking about things. But ultimately, this change in approach for training um, in terms of having specific, I guess, work that we're doing, but it not being so hard that I you know, have to really mentally hype myself up to do every session um, is is great. And I guess for those of you that want to that are listening and that want to learn more about this type of training, Tristan has done other episodes on these topics and these topics of um, lactate threshold specifically. So that's kind of the first thing. But um, looking back at my athletic experiences, I guess to summarize or give a brief overview is, you know, I grew up playing soccer first and foremost, and then kind of doing some running. So I would do like summer run camps and then, um, soccer camps played, uh, soccer year round, uh, until I was a senior in high school and got, I guess we could call it burnout. Uh, I had kind of had ideas of going and playing in college, but ultimately I was the one that pulled the plug on that because of that sense of, of burnout. And so, you know, I also dabbled in, you know, JV basketball, but, uh, I think having grown up running track, playing soccer, basketball, all these things, um, soccer is what stuck with me the most. And in terms of my thought process around athletics, and I think I developed a lot of, I don't know, mindsets like, you know, the kind of go harder, go home mindset of just, you know, just try harder. Um, I would, yeah. So those are the training you would do now. (laughs) It's funny that you talk about the training that you've done is feeling more recreational because like if you, that's, if you think running 10 miles and then riding 60 miles, you know, at what, if you use like the seven zone model, might be predominantly zone two. If you consider that to be recreational, right, then that's recreational. But I think for a lot of people, right, that would be maybe a little bit more. But recreational in the sense of it's not a specific intensity. And then we also have that dynamic, I think, of if you compare that to what you were doing for training, quote unquote, and I put that, I say that in quotes, or I put that emphasis on it, not to be sarcastic, but because like, that can mean a lot of different things. And I think that, you know, now you talk about, you know, riding 15, 20, 25 hours a week, or, you know, riding for 15 to 20 hours a week and running 40 to 60 miles a week, maybe, or like I just said, you know, doing a 10 mile run and then going out and riding 60 miles and talking about that feeling like recreational or sort of low key. But that's a big evolution from where you've been in the past when you're coming from the perspective of, you know, team sports, right? Yeah, I guess I guess the 10 miles, 60 miles, those types of things have developed over time. And so and I also think that's what's uh difficult about the sport of cycling specifically is a lot of people will look to see what like the top riders are doing and then try to you know, recreate that in their training, like automatically. Whereas I feel like I have slowly over time and not because I 
did this on purpose, but just like over time I have transitioned from, you know, getting a bike and riding it in order to kind of just be fit. And like, I was still running after high school and running in college and, you know, using the bike to like get fit for running and whatnot to slowly over time getting to this space where now I can say that what I'm doing is more structured and and thought out. And that was just a natural progression. Um, But for me, like thinking back to the soccer stuff, like I was always trying to like I was trying to do what, you know, the top soccer players were doing, whether that was, you know, division one soccer players or women, you know, on the U.S. women's team, because in soccer, you can kind of recreate what those people are doing, but just like slower speeds, like, you know, the way the speed in which you're kicking the ball is going to be slower. Kind of like a skills perspective. Yeah. Right? So those, those types of things, like you can, you can copy, but it's not always going to lead to the best outcomes. So something like, You know, if I see the top marathoners in the country, you know, going out and doing their long runs at like seven minute pace and I'm out doing my long runs at nine minute pace, the first instinct might be, okay, I need to just go out and do my long runs at seven minute pace and just try harder, I guess. And I maybe I could do that, but I would just destroy myself. Um, so same thing with soccer is, is like, I just need to go out and just, you know, work hard every day type of thing. Well, and that skill mindset, right? Like that difference between, I mean, to say that it's like a fitness argument versus a skill argument is like obviously an oversimplification, right? Mm-hmm. And we're aware of that, but it's also, I think sometimes useful to kind of take a simplification as a way to kind of try to get into something like that. But I mean, what were you, I mean, so for, for me, right. I just think just so people who are listening, have an awareness of the kind of like contrast between us, you know, for me, you know, I stopped doing like team sports basically um, in elementary school. And when I was 10, I started swimming competitively and did that through high school. And then in middle school, I started running and I did that through college and then cycling I picked up like intensively and I guess competitively in a sense, but not like going to races. And then the cycling, I started racing on that after college and I've, you know, continued with those individual sports. And I think just because you maybe have, so you might say that like, okay, I have the individual sport background. And then you might say that, well, you have more of the team sport background. But just because you could say that doesn't necessarily mean that one person has exclusively this fitness concept and one person has exclusively this like uh, skill concept. And because I think when we talked about, and the reason why we talked about that is to kind of be partially illustrative of this contrast. I think when we talk about like the Boston prep race, right? Both of us, despite, you know, in theory, having these different athletic sort of um, periods of, of like formative development, are still experiencing a lot of those same senses of like what's going on, right? Is this proficient? Is this not proficient? Am I an athlete or am I not an athlete? So just because you've done those things, you know, doesn't mean that they are exactly the same. 
right? And so then that opens the door to like, how has your identity of being an athlete changed? And, you know, things like, does it change how we as individuals like think about what it means to prepare? So if you go back, I mean, as an example, one of the first, the first run I ever remember doing in my first day running a middle school track, and I've told this anecdote on the pod before, but the first day I was with the sprinters because it was a call up for everybody who did cross country. And then the next day I said, I'm going to go over there. Um, because, you know, I told my parents, I ran up and down the bleachers and did wall sits. And so my dad said, well, you need to go over with the cross country runners. And, you know, <laughs> and, and thus my fate was sealed for all eternity. And you know, that was running from and the listeners, probably most of them won't know what this means, but you know, you do that was running from uh, Memorial field down to where uh, Langley Parkway is now across from Concord hospital um, turning around, running back, and I'm pretty sure blacking out. And that's probably like less a mile than two and miles. a half run. Right. Probably yeah. closer to a mile and a half. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, some of their first exposure to the idea of like training is what you do for running. It's kind of like what you do at practice. But it's interesting when you look at team sports have kind of a different attitude. And that idea of like the mile or the two mile being like this really significant dif- distance I think is a place where a lot of people start, right? Yeah. Something that I think I benefited from was always having done running as well. In addition to my team sports and like my dad loves to tell the stories about how he used to put me in the jogger stroller and do a bunch of five K's with me in it. But for me, like the, so he always jokes that like, I've always been a runner, but For me, my earliest memories of running are actually uh, in elementary school. We would do the the mile out behind the school. And I'm really convinced that, you know, the distance wasn't actually completely a mile. It was definitely 2,000 meters. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, I like to believe that. And so uh, I actually had my fifth grade teacher, she ran marathons and Um, unfortunately she actually passed away when we were in her class, but so, you know, traumatic and formative in the class and then she just died or, uh, she was out on Monday and then by Friday she had passed away. So that was like a pretty, you know, I had this teacher who had this passion that, you know, I also had from running and she'd cheer. Like, I remember she'd come out and cheer us on when we were doing the mile. And so her as, as a teacher, to me was, uh, you know, before she passed was, you know, she was a big figure in my life for running and then, you know, she passes and that's also like something that stuck with me, but to move past that, you know, trauma of my childhood, uh, you know, I set like the school record or whatever for the mile, which is every year, just so the listeners know, <laughs> every year they drew a kid's name out of the hat and told them, "Oh, congratulations! You set the school record." But nobody ever told Jillian that That's that was what favorite. really happened. Like honestly, me. So I think I ran. No, I know I ran six fifteen because it's still and the course was two thousand meters. So that's pretty good. <laughs> and I so that's like my proudest athletic achievement, I have to say. And so the the little thing is still based on the Boston prep race. That makes sense. <laughs> it's considering I still up there at the school, and so occasionally I'll get not any not as much anymore, but like I'll get people who 
are like friends, parents, or like teachers I had, or people like send, or like there's voting that happens at the school. So people who like live in that area will go in and they'll see like the little board with all the records of people. Or New York Times reporters. <laughs> people send me pictures of it and it's like the greatest thing. So yeah, that's kind of my first memories of running. And I would do a summer running camp and I, you know, set the two mile record for our club and got a cake. And I think I more so just remember getting the cake and being really excited about that. Um, but uh-huh. I would do like summer track meets and yeah, I, I mean, and then eventually it progressed into running being something that I was doing just in terms of supporting my soccer. Our and sport is your sports punishment. I absolutely hate that saying. And so uh, like we would do, you know, I, and I, I hate this term, but like suicide runs or whatever you want to call so it. So much healthy I, oh, language so and bad. conditioning and so, culture, especially for team sports. Oh, so bad. Sort and so we would do those at practice and I would love it because, because I had this running background, I was like a bit fitter than everyone else. And so, you know, you know me, I love to win. And so Every, you know, run that we you did as a win, punishment. You to win, you excel at losing to me at the Boston Prep Race. <laughs> okay. Stay tuned, folks, for the Hyannis Marathon you beat Smackdown. Me, okay, so you beat me in like a couple of races this year? We're on a kill streak. I'm calling in a UAV. Okay. Okay, calm down, please. Um, but, you know, I would go out during the summer before soccer. This is one of my favorites. Okay. Break this down for us. I think that everybody will enjoy this as much as I do. Okay. So every summer uh, before soccer tryouts or right before, like they would be like the week before school started. So at soccer tryouts, we would do a two mile time trial. And, you know, me being the little proud owner of the cake. Proud owner of the cake. I convinced our coach too that we needed to put like a time cap on the two mile for anyone that was going to be on the varsity team, which I think is reasonable still because you need to have like certain amount of fitness to be, you know, on the varsity team and to keep up during games. And if I was a soccer coach now, I would probably just have the kids running all the time and then no one would. Well, and quick footnote, right? That's also that connection between where is that? interchange between skill and fitness right yeah yeah and so i would go out like that i was crazy i would go out every day i swear every day and go and run two miles out and back like as hard as i could it's kind of actually very logical yeah because we had to do the two mile and then i would go and go to like the field with my brother or my friends or whatever and play soccer in the afternoons or We'd sometimes have practices for my club team or games or whatever it was. But yeah, I would just go out and run two miles as hard as I could. And I know that's so funny to Tristan, but like in the moment and in that period of my life, I was like, I'm so hardcore about sports. Like I'm such a hardcore athlete. (laughs) Well, it is. I mean, but the thing though is like on the one hand, you contrast the idea of like, well, I go out for 10 mile runs and ride 60 miles. And my concern is that like, I'm not training hard or training well, or I'm never going to get any better. And you contrast that to running two miles. And on the one hand, you'd be like, well, what the hell? Like those are apples and oranges at the extreme. But then there's also that aspect of there's a 
it's not that's that's one way to look at it but there's also that dynamic of if you're going out and you're trying to absolutely smash for 2 miles running like that's exhaustive you know to go out and do that and well, for you i'm assuming that was probably taking at least 25 minutes okay so first of all <laughs> <laughs> I was super sorry. Fast. Twenty-seven minutes, my bad. Yeah. Um. I really notice, tr- folks, that she can't disclose her true time <laughs> because it's probably twenty-six some thirty. Some record of it. I definitely kept like a training log or, or whatever. Um, Let's post that on the Instagram at Black Cats Run. Coming up next, Jillian's elementary school training log. Uh, this was high school, sir. Um. So, <laughs> so the thing is, is that I really do think that we have this. So actually right now I'm teaching a class uh, at the high school that I teach at. It's called Sports and American Culture. And we talk a lot about how the culture of our society in America influences the culture of sports. But then it's the cyclical thing where, you know, the the culture within the sports is going to influence the norms and the values that we value in our culture. And so I think for us as I think this is not exclusively an American thing, but within this culture and these ideas is we have this idea, the whole go hard or go home thing. And so for me going out and running as hard as I can for two miles, you know, afterwards you feel physically and mentally exhausted because every day I had to, you know, convince myself to just go really hard. Whereas the type of training that I do now is much more sustainable and, I can repeat it day after day. And, you know, there are some days where you feel less motivated to to go out and do something, but generally it's very sustainable and easy to execute. But for, I feel like most people, my, myself included in the past, is there's this perception that if I'm not mentally fatiguing, if I'm not physically fatiguing, then I must not be doing anything productive. And that's like a really, really difficult thing to comprehend and to overcome. And I think like we said at the beginning of the podcast and we've been talking about the only way that you get there is through the experiences. Right. And I think that kind of gives this idea of like, you know, that sending it concept, like that that's a skill and like our limitation as an athlete Mm -hmm. is that skill. And I think the reason why it's rational, um, from that original point of view to be like, okay, there's this two mile thing. It's time. Well, then we're saying, well, that must have, I mean, it makes sense to infer as an athlete, well, that has significance or meaning. And that, you know, is in a, in a, if you think about it in a microcosm sense, right, that's kind of like, well, that was kind of like your FTP concept of that time, right? But then there's this interesting idea that like the ability to perform that is also the skill and the limiting factor there is like the skill of being an athlete right that it's like this like quality that we bring out through mental toughness and then you can go out and you can be doing you know 10 mile run 60 mile ride you know which should rationally be way more significant but then you're having this sense of like I'm not being productive whereas when you're going out once upon a time and you're just trying to wreck it for two miles you can feel like oh now this really is productive right and that's a really interesting 
you know, powerful thing. And I think it relates to that concept of like, am I being an athlete and what does it mean to become more of that in the future? Yeah. Well, I guess, so I can make a comparison here to demonstrate how my thinking has shifted. So during soccer games, like, especially as I was getting older, I, even though I'm always the shortest person on the field, I would often get put into being the center back for the team. And so for, I guess, people that don't know soccer, that's like the last, you know, defense, that's a defensive position. And so a lot of times, like the goalie, the center back, they're kind of the people who are directing and guiding what's going on throughout the game, because you can see the entire field. And so for me, a lot of times, you know, I'm telling people, like, we're trying to push up the lines so that we can get people off sides and all, all of these things. Right. Or, you know, I'm, I'm seeing like a line that someone can take in a, I guess if we want to relate it to cycling, like a, a line that someone can take and I'm wondering why they can't get to the ball on time or what's happening here. And I think for me at the time, I'd get really frustrated with a lot of my teammates, but I didn't have the insight that I was doing a lot of running um, in addition to to soccer practice. And so I think just generally, and this doesn't make me, you know, inherently better anything. I just happened to be doing more running. And so I was probably one of the more, one of the fittest people on the field, just because I also did this other sport. And so it made it easier for me to do X, Y, and Z. And it's a Petri dish, right? Yeah. And so- It's not arrogance. It's just kind of like- that's just how reasoning through, right? I mean, and at the time I didn't realize that, right? At the time I just thought, well, like people just need to try harder and obviously, and you know, there are cases of more of an athlete. Yeah. There are cases of people not really caring and just kind of like giving up or whatever. And, you know, so there, there's a balance there, right? Cause you can kind of tell when people are just like, nah, I'm not, I'm not going to do that versus somebody's like actually very tired and can't get to the ball. So you kind of, I shift to cycling and I can even think of my like experience at Bay Crits earlier this year. You know, you have people like Amanda Spratt who are on their form for their nationals because it's summer over there. And I am struggling to maybe take corners as well, I guess, as I typically would, you know, at Crits in the U.S. or um, like keep up in certain situations. And so part of, you know, my initial thought is like, well, I just need to try harder. But then after the racing, I'm reflecting, I'm like, well, you know, it's the middle of the off season. I haven't raced since whatever, September, these people are on peak form. It's hot. (laughs) Like I'm not, I'm not acclimated these things. And so to put that all in perspective, I think is very important. And so I think, if I can give one kind of message to people that are getting into cycling or don't always feel like they have the opportunity to be super competitive within their field. Um, it's just that, you know, over time, your, your commitment and your ability to continue to execute over and over the training is what's going to make it easier for you to, like take a corner or whatever. And it's not you, you know, being insufficient as a human that you can't 
all of a sudden push yourself to, you know, sprint past me or something in the last lap of the race. It's like, it's all these other factors. And I think, unfortunately, we have those, those, that messaging from like, kind of our cultural norms of, you just have to like, have this mentality that you're super hardcore and nothing can stop you. I mean, I think it's, it's good to like, have that sense of confidence and, um, to feel good about what you're doing or to, to motivate yourself, but you have to know under what, like, limits are you working and what is your current framework of your training? So like we've talked about moving the needle in the sense that we're creating like a range of possibilities. So for instance, right now we might say, okay, and this is just, it's just easier to talk about it in terms of running, but like for right now, if I'm trying to do marathons. Because you are doing the Boston Marathon again this year yeah. so there's like specific relevance to yeah. thinking about it in this but term. like pace is easier to discuss than cycling yeah. but so like if right now we're saying okay my lower end is you know going and do a marathon at 7 30 pace and my higher end is like 6 45 pace well through training what we're trying to do is move the needle where it's like a standard deviation yeah. bell curve right? yes and the needle maybe we could sort of think of as being like that center line in that bell curve yeah and so whereas like over time right if i was to be consistent with my running and training then you're looking to move it to the standard deviation where you know the the days where i'm not feeling as good are going to be 645 pace but if i'm having a better day it's going to be you know something like 615 pace. And so that's what you're trying to do, I guess, in terms of the training for cycling is you're trying to move that, that standard deviation and you're not, that's not going to happen overnight. And it's not going to happen just in a race to like, you know, convince yourself that you can. Well, I think another way to think about it is kind of like if people picture like that parabola (laughs) <laughs> right, the bell curve, whatever you want to call that, of yeah, standard we're both deviation. Really good at math. Right, and that moving the needle would sort of drive that to the right, and at a certain point, that new standard deviation would lose any overlap with the old one. But at first, you could be improving, and it might still be so similar. It's hard to say because you're going to have variance, and you're not always going to be performing at that outermost margin that moves away. Versus, if we think of the idea of moving the needle as being like an odometer. Right, where you're like putting your foot on the gas mm-hmm. pedal more, or maybe not an odometer, but like, you know, the meter in the car, right, where the needle is moving up because you're applying more pressure and using more energy, right? And I think that when you're going out and you're doing two miles like that, you know, I'm just gonna do this really hard, you're you really feel that you're using your full engine, right? Mm-hmm. But versus this other idea of like, well, we can be getting better without feeling like we're getting better and that's really challenging mentally and that's that's, kind of what's interesting about the lactate threshold concept and i think when we look at and not going down into this in detail because we cover this in other episodes but just in a basic sense right like people are take that and they generate that data but that doesn't necessarily mean anything people then have to interpret that and if you make the wrong interpretation of that data, you're going to be no better off than where you were before. And one of the things that's striking to me is it seems like people's sense of training being, you know, pushing up that 
you know, RPM or the speedometer, right? And the more, cause it's like, oh, I'm trying to make progress. If I put the pedal to the floor, I'm going to make more progress, right? Um, and that idea of, right, of like accelerating development, right? And that, that biases us to sort of look for a point that's really high on that lactate curve, to look for where the millimoles are, are getting more and more accumulative. But for us, I think that, and this is where within this space, it's like the paradigm shift aspect of it, I think, is a shift around confidence and surety and certainty that, okay, like going to that, again, that analogy of that, you know, I got a train condition for soccer, you know, because I made the varsity team my freshman year and I got to maintain this and I got to keep getting out and smashing these two mile runs. And that's like a key component to my process. Right. But that that stuff actually might be more limiting than it is helpful. And that dilemma of how do we pull back, but recognize that's how we move forward. Yeah, I feel like a word that I want to redefine here is the idea of hard work. So there's, I feel like hard work is often associated with doing things that are so difficult for one to execute. And so hard work would be like going out and doing those two mile runs as hard as I could. Whereas now I think of hard work as doing the hard thing, the difficult thing, which is going out every day and being consistent in the training, even when there is a lack of evidence that there might be improvement. And I think that's also what is difficult, I think, as an athlete or has been difficult for me as an athlete to transition to because I'm used to doing really crazy things or going out, you know, you score a goal and like that's supposed to be evidence that you're getting better or whatever it is. But with the type of training that we're doing, the the hard work is truly the work that is the least, I guess, the work that you can't really glorify. Like the work that if you're doing some sort of maybe, I guess, an Instagram reel, like someone's just like, here's a day in the life of like the other day I did a Insta reel that was like jokingly like, you know, get ready with me for our 16 or 17 mile long run. And I joked that, oh, well, here's Tristan telling me what the plan is, even though it's like, yeah, every Sunday we go out and we do the same loop and the same run. Um, So, but that stuff, it can become, I guess, feel tedious and it sometimes can feel boring, right? Because you're not doing anything crazy. The consistency makes it feel like you're not accomplishing anything, which is like super ironic. Yeah. Because it's the sense of like, oh, you know, even though you run 17 miles and then you have to pass out for an hour and then you go on the bike and, you know, my example that day was I did uh, two by 25 minutes at threshold on the bike and then go into the barn where it's you know not insulated and below freezing and then squatting and deadlifting you know and you're squatting and deadlifting 185 pounds you know and then you can still walk away from that and be like I don't know did I really do anything to get better yeah, today we do it every week and so it's kind of I guess Sundays actually 
you know, always feel a bit more like successful in a way because we do all of those things. But the, you know, the typical day of getting up and doing the morning run and running for an hour and then coming back and riding for an hour or so on the trainer, like those days, they just, they don't feel impressive. But if I'm, you know, I guess being, I don't know, I guess if I am being, um, if I'm self-promoting here, I guess that stuff is actually really hard to do every day. Um, but it is that, that ability to make it easy in terms of developing the mental skills over time. And then the perspectives that we have through our experiences, I think are what's, what's most important. And you and I talked about earlier how we kind of wanted to, to, talk about this idea that there's this this camp of the go hard go home and then there's kind of this other camp that I think we're now kind of addressing of the you know going day after day even though there isn't that immediate gratification and I think sometimes those things can it's good to maybe be able to have the capability to do both of those things to like really go hard um but I think that more so applies to like a race situation in terms of being able to actualize your fitness. And I think that in terms of training, it's more about being able to make training something that's something you can do every single day and that it doesn't take up a bunch of mental energy. Cause I hear a lot of people talk about burnout from the sport and that people will quit. And I think that's, we all do this because we want to and because it's something that we enjoy. So why not try to create environments where it's still enjoyable for us? Like, and I think overall, <laughs> overall, what we're trying to recognize is that managing that kind of a stress is number one, more important, but that number two, it's not a kind of a mental skill that's limiting us from being able to manage that it's physiologically real that we're through what we're doing what might make you feel like that charged up feeling that you get after doing a race is motivating and, and people i think that's a big reason why people like racing is they want to get especially get to the end and like enter into that state of euphoria where they can't fall asleep because they're just reliving the whole race in their head again and again because it was so awesome and it was so validating and you know that's not what you want to be looking for in your training and you know the reality is is that the fact that you can look at running 10 miles riding 60 miles the fact that you can look at running 17 miles and we should add you know averaging about 100 feet per mile on a course too it's not flat and that adds a significant amount of fatigue and challenge for sure. And then coming back and then getting on the bike. I mean, to be fair, you know, a lot of runners, you know, including serious marathon runners, you know, would do a 17 mile run and then that would be it for their, for their day. And that might be their biggest volume day. Right. And we're coming back and we're doing, doing this. And I, I think it's interesting to think about, you know, what are, what's people's takeaway going to be to say, Oh, well, okay. You're just training easier. You know, and you're not doing the stuff that's hard. You're not 
you know, you're not doing that VO2 max intensity. But I think we're asking the question of like, you know, how much of our sense of, well, getting out there and going after it, right? Uh, you know, go hard or go home in training. How much of that is coming from an attitude that like that's what's productive and that that's something that we've learned like in these really early formative times in our lives and that that then gives us a confirmation bias to be like, okay, well, this hard, exhaustive thing is productive and that that's actually tapping into this like thing that we a lot of us learn when we're kids. And, you know, and for me, coming from more of an individual sport background or endurance sport background, there's still a strong sense of that. And I think what's powerful about the way that we're trying to use lactate um, as a informative metric now is trying to, you know, have more confidence, A, that, you know, we don't really need to go this, this, that we're not actually really missing anything per se, you know, by doing that, you know, and that, you know, you practice that stuff across a, across a race calendar, right? And you build towards the more important races, but also that, you know, the sort of like part B to that is recognizing that like you can use that to actually prove that you're getting better. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, with the Hyannis marathon, you know, I don't, really necessarily anticipate you know that you're going to go out and drop a bomb you know <laughs> of a race um nor do i think you're going to go out and absolutely bomb right you can you know a lot of exercise words have double meaning right but and that's where we think about that idea of like trending that standard deviation is you could go out and run slower Mm -hmm. than you did last year, but be better. And I think that's mm -hmm. what's difficult for people to see. And, you know, for people could look at your Strava and be like, well, I listened to this episode and then look at, you know, she ran 258 or whatever at this race last year and she ran 305. You know, I guess they don't know what they're doing, but, you know, we're looking for that aggregate, right? We're not putting the pedal to the floor to the point where the engine overheats and then we have to take our annual, you know, six to 10 week break to basically mm -hmm. try to allow the whole system, you know, to, to reset, right? We're saying we're looking for more of this aggregate thing and, you know, the, the proofs are going to be long-term and that's where people are going to, you know, have to continue to follow along with the pod to sort of, you know, watch and kind of learn how this develops because we are changing and reorienting. And I think in some ways we are training actually harder now too, ironically, because, this we've shifted to doing like more and more of our volume at sort of closer to that like lactate threshold level. And that, you know, I'm experiencing that for my part as being more fatiguing in the sense oh, that I need hungry. to sleep. <laughs> I feel the need to sleep way more and I feel the need to eat way more. But when I'm doing the training, I'm not like, wow, I want to die. And usually when I finish, I feel super underwhelmed. Mm -hmm. But in aggregate, you know, it, and that will be interesting to compare how do we how do we feel on the Boston prep race versus this Hyannis race? Because that was at the end of January, mm -hmm. maybe around January 25th. And this Hyannis race is on March 5th. So, you know, enough of a period of time that you could maybe start to feel some sort of a difference. Right. And we'll have to come back and, you know, 
talk about that marathon after it happens. But I mean, like, we signed up for the marathon like today and it's next week. So yeah. And of course my not, legs immediately felt like absolute crap, <laughs> but it's one of those, those things where it's a race that's going to help me build towards other races, I guess that, you know, I would consider and to, to me to be more important in terms of my personal achievement and I think it's fine to have these periods where you're going or it's good to have periods where you're going out and maybe sucking a little bit in terms of your race performance. And honestly, that might be an indicator that you are, you know, training enough where you're getting your body to make adaptations. Um, But I mean, we'll see, we'll see how the season shakes out. I think there's a lot of different factors that go into especially bike racing, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, let's make some predictions for people for the, our high NS marathon. Oh my God. And then we come back. That's so rude. So I had a premonition. It came to me in a dream that Jillian would run 250 and I would run 246. And in the dream, Jillian got upset that I absolutely took her to the woodshed and started going around and telling everybody that I ran two shit that, excuse me, that she ran 240. And so then I had to pull up the results on my phone and show everybody Jillian was a big, mean liar. So if this comes to pass and my vision was true, I'm going to be changing the handle of the Insta page to at Oracle of Delphi. Um, but We'll sort of back off that prediction. I'll have a backup prediction. Uh, I think, I think probably three oh five. Yeah, and I that's think reasonable. that it will probably feel easy the whole way. Yeah, and I think that we can kind of say more about that, like if it actually happens. Otherwise, we're sort of like interpreting an experience that is purely hypothetical. But I think if um, you know what we're talking about is going in the right direction, I think that's the kind of evidence that we're looking for. And that fits in that idea of that shifting the standard deviation of like, well, I ran such and such, but I could have maybe done blank, but that we're not trying to go to the well. Right? What's your prediction? Yeah, I think 305 is reasonable. I think that if this is a two lap course, so if we go around lap one and we're feeling- Drop out city, baby. <laughs> we're feeling about feisty, I don't know, feisty or whatever, like I did last Whoa, year. feisty marathon. <laughs> then maybe run closer to three hours, that'd be kind of fun. <laughs> and then maybe we can go to Chili's afterwards. No. Last time Let's we went to Chili's, no to Chili's, I got food poisoning. Just say no to Chili's. <laughs> Drop me off at Quincy Market and pick me up in a week. <laughs> if these predictions or any other future prophecies come to pass. We'll be sure to cover it here on the next episode of The Big Ring Bennett Show. I'm Tristan Black Ingersoll. And I'm Jillian Bennett. And we'll catch you next time. <laughs>